You're listening to Jet Nation Radio, the official podcast of JetNation.com. The largest independent fan site in the NFL. Be sure to check out our forums and talk all things Jets with thousands of other diehard Jets fans. Now, to get you up to date on all the latest Jets news, notes, and quotes, here are your hosts, Dylan Terriman and Alex Barallo. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to another episode of Jet Nation Radio. Uh, this is your host, Alex Barallo, joined with Dylan Terriman. Dylan, how are we doing tonight? I'm doing well, just trying to get everything buttoned up before I leave for Mobile next week and make sure I'm all set to go there. So checking off the the things on the list and trying to squeeze in time to watch all these prospects. That's great, man. You're you're doing fantastic work and and we're getting excited. I think we're 11 days to that senior bowl game. And um, I'm going to say it right now, um, ladies and gentlemen, I am losing my voice. I'm going to fight through this show tonight um, Dylan's probably going to rock the mic a little bit more than me just for your pleasure in listening. So, um, you know, I just got to throw that out there. If I do sound a little hoarse, I do apologize. Just, uh, I don't know, this, this these winter months in New Jersey and, and New York uh, tend to mm-hmm. set me back a, a pace or two. But the show must go on, as they say. And speaking of our show, uh, before we get into that, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Miles Social. Uh, if you are a business owner and you're attempting to get your company's uh, social media platform to the next level, please go to milesocial.com and see what they can do for your business. That's M-I-L-E-S-O-C-I-A-L.com. All right, Dylan, so we've got a few topics that we're going to discuss in regards to the Jets and some things that have been you know, circle, circling around the front office. Uh, we've got a rumor that we're going to discuss to start off the show tonight. We've got some thoughts on a Daniel Jeremiah mock draft that uh, just was released earlier this week. And then for the big presentation of the show, we are going to do a deep dive into the Senior Bowl. So this show has been labeled as Senior Bowl Watch. We at Jet Nation are officially kicking off the off season here for the Jets. And, you know, if you haven't heard already, the Jets will be coaching, I believe, the north um, side of the team in uh, this Reese's uh, Senior Bowl game. Dylan will be in attendance representing Jet Nation, which is amazing. And uh, tonight what we're going to do is we're going to review a little bit of the offensive side of the ball. And then to close the show, we want to take a brief moment to discuss you know, a little bit of the financials on the team and and things that uh, maybe some fans uh, are unaware of, uh, where majority of our money is allocated. And we're going to talk about a couple players that uh, maybe the Jets can part ways with and get a little bit of relief as far as their salary cap. So, um, Dylan, let's get right into the the trade rumor that has been uh, circulating the wire for the Jets here. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not sure who released the the news. Um, I know it just came out probably about a week or so ago. And uh, the the rumor on the street is, is that Joe Douglas and the Jets are willing to trade one of their early picks, possibly, you know, that number 10 pick in the first round, or maybe they're going to look to, you know, 
uh, batch up a, a couple of the seconds and a first and, and make something happen. Who knows? But uh, we know that Joe Douglas has been quite active, um, you know, regular season, off season, and definitely during the draft. He's made a lot of moves. Um, he does not hesitate to pull the trigger if he thinks he's got a good deal. So we're going to go right into that right away. And um, Dylan, um, you prepared something um, for this segment here, and uh, then I'll rebuttal off of your take here. So why don't you break that, that rumor that's been going around? Yeah, I believe it was SNY that first broke the rumor. I, w- I want to say it was like an hour after we got off the pod last week. So instead of scrapping the whole show and starting anew just about that rumor, we decided to push it back. But it said that they were interested in moving the number 10 pick as well as being active in other rounds as well. And immediately I think a lot of Jets fans' minds went to a bunch of different places. I think they've thought about it as a trade down potentially to acquire more picks in the 2022 or 2023 draft. I think some fans also went to the perspective of, oh, they're going to trade the 10th overall pick to go acquire a veteran wide receiver. And then the names started circling. The the big three that I, I saw the most on Twitter were Calvin Ridley, DK Metcalf, and Amari Cooper. So I just did a little bit of digging into those three players Calvin Ridley, um, he took most of this season off for a mental health break. He considered it. He put out a big statement and said that he was taking time away from the team, but he had three very strong years of production before that. I think everything he put out was over 800 yards. Um, he's 27 years old going into the this 2022 season in September, so he's still fairly young as a player but he only has one year, $11.1 million left on his contract. That is his fifth-year option. So he's going to need to be extended, and I think that that number is going to be at least north of $16 million. <clears throat> Excuse me. It could even get up to the 18 to $20 million range with him. And then DK Metcalf, he's a bit younger. He's 24. He has one year, $1.4 million left on his rookie deal. He was a second-round pick, so he does not have a fifth-year option, which is pretty unfortunate for him considering he made a Pro Bowl, so that would have elevated him to a new tier of pay as far as his fifth year. So if the Jets were to take that on, they would immediately have to pay him the next season as well as if they were to acquire Ridley. But he's another player, 900 yards all three seasons that he's played in the league. I think 29 career touchdowns in three seasons, so, you know, absolute production monster and I think he fits what Zach Wilson does from a skill set standpoint as far as the deep contested passes I think he would he would fit that bill well and then the third name was Amari Cooper who is the oldest of the three he's 28 uh, at the start of this season and he's in the middle of a big five-year 100 million dollar contract he still has three years 66 million worth of cap left on the deal so I'm not sure if the Jets would even want to trade and try to restructure with him I don't know if that's necessarily a good look if you're trading for somebody to immediately ask them to take less money but at worst he would be a free agent at 31 and quite honestly I think this route even though I just said a lot of good things about these players I think this route would probably be the least smart scenario it's an overpay from the cap draft capital perspective I think the 10th overall pick is way too much to give up straight up for one player Now, if they wanted to give up 35 and a late-round pick for any of these players, sure, just due to the fact that you're going to have to pay two of them, and one of them is already a $20 million 
a year player. So I think this is the mm-hmm. least smart scenario. I think trading back makes a lot more sense. But then there's also the possibility that they could stay there and try to acquire a blue-chip player at, at 10 overall because, let's face it, the Jets don't have many blue-chip players on their roster. So to take advantage of this 4-10 position in the draft and take swings on new contracts, new players that you can then develop into these players, I think I think that would be a route that you can obviously go. But as far as the trade rumors go, I hope that it's more of a trade-down scenario maybe a team like Pittsburgh or New Orleans in the 18 to 21 range, they get a little antsy at quarterback and they're not sure what they want to do. And they want to come up to 10. We saw last year, the bears went up, I think from 20 to 10 with the giants to go get Justin Fields. And that was a loaded quarterback class. So this could be a a trade for the first quarterback off the board at 10 overall. Somebody could come up for somebody like a Kenny Pickett out of Pittsburgh and the Jets could end up getting a future one out of the deal. So I think rather than going the route of spending the 10th overall pick to get a veteran player, they should either look to trade down for more draft capital or stay put and try to get the best player they can. Good take. Uh, You know, I'm in agreement with a lot of the things that you said there. Uh, The way that I look at it with, with the draft is every year, uh, myself included, I watch film, I look at the stats, I do the eye test. Uh, you fall in love with certain players, and, and you said the Jets have to go out and, and, you know, make this a priority to get this, you know, player A or player B. And as great of a case that can be presented, um, it really just seems like you never really know when it comes, you know, specifically to the wide receiver position, how much it's going to translate to the next level. I think we've seen plenty of, you know, premium picks from the wide receiver side with our own Jets that haven't come to fruition. So the difficulty of that position from college to, um, you know, the pros is is quite a big leap. So the the idea of using draft capital to go out and acquire a player that we know has the talent and the skill set that we need, like there's no guessing with the players that you had just mentioned with Ridley, Metcalf and Cooper, you know exactly what you're getting from them. There is no guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, there is no, you know, oh, they could possibly this or they could possibly be a number one or, you know, a, a good blanket for Zach Wilson and company. No, we know what to expect from those guys. So, you know, if the opportunity presents itself, uh, you'd be a fool not to want to acquire a player like that because the truth is, is that you could theoretically sit, draft a guy, you know, go with what you see, look at the film, and and just hope. You, you cross your fingers and you hope that the guy turns into, you know, everything that you think he's going to be. And it could completely blow up in your face. So the draft is more of a gamble. And, you know, if you're going to use the draft to acquire, you know, productive players to help your team get to the next level, I, I have to say that, you know, I would be very intrigued and I would not be upset if the Jets wanted to be aggressive. Uh, I think that's right. something I've been talking about with the team for many of years is that the Jets need to be more aggressive with the way that they handle contracts and trades and and just going out and trying to get the best talent that they can on the roster. Uh, we've seen a lot of mediocre contracts and, and mid-level signings, and, and we just kind of hope and pray that these players get to the next level you know, pro bowl, pro and things like that. And majority of the time that just does not happen. So um, 
changing their approach and getting more aggressive definitely seems like the best way to go about it. Uh, and to be honest with you, if they want to use that, that number 10 pick uh, and, and slide back a few picks to compile more second and third round picks, we know that this team has got a lot of holes to fill on this roster and mm-hmm. the best way to do it, as Joe Douglas and company say, is you have to build it through the draft. So if you're going to use that 10 pick to acquire more picks and increase your, your chances of trying to get more bodies and try to hit on more players, I'm all for it. Um, and I'll be just as happy if they sit put at 4 and 10 and take the best players that they feel um, that will help our team right away. Uh, because blue chip guys are, you know, a dime a dozen. And if you have the chance to do that uh, – you know, I'm playing both sides of the coin here, obviously, but um, I can see it both ways. Um, I can see it being aggressive and trying to help the team right away, and I could also see playing the long game, um, sitting sitting tight with your picks and waiting, letting the board come to you and then, you know, picking your guys accordingly. So uh, very, very interesting. Um, you know, what is the – you know, how realistic are these scenarios of the Jets acquiring any of those three players that we mentioned? Probably not very realistic at all. Um, Ridley is intriguing to me. Uh, I, I definitely liked him as a draft prospect coming, uh, you know, into the process a few years ago. I think he's an exceptional route runner. He's a good possession guy. And I think that he also has the ability to be a playmaker. Uh, I guess the big question with him uh, when he hits the market or if he becomes available via trade uh, is what kind of person are you getting? Not, I know it's the type of football player he is. I'm just curious about what's going on upstairs. Um, and, you know, players like that, you know, can be the best thing that happened to your team or it could also be a detrimental as far as, you know, not being a locker room guy. So uh, very, very interesting to, to you know, <clears throat> see those rumors being put out there and, you know, everybody kind of chimed in and, uh, a lot of mixed opinions, uh, you know, with that particular topic. Mm-hmm. But, you know, while we're talking about the draft and we're talking about, you know, hypotheticals here, uh, Daniel Jeremiah was, put out a mock draft uh, just a few days ago. And, uh, Dylan, do you want to go ahead and uh, break down the picks that uh, Daniel Jer- Jeremiah did for the, Jet- <clears throat> for the Jets? <clears throat> sure. And I think I need to – preface this whole mock draft by saying that um, I listened to the Move the Sticks podcast that went along with this. I read it as I was watching it. So I was listening as he was, you know, breaking down his picks as to why he took them. And a lot of the things he said was it comes down to he ranks his players with his eyes. So based off film and, and the things that he sees, whether it's in person, you know, testing at a combine, he'll rank his players based off that but he will mock his players based off his ears. So what he's hearing throughout the league, whether that's from internal sources, external sources, from organizations. So I think that's a very interesting uh, point to make with Daniel Jeremiah specifically because I believe he was the first one to mock Makai Becton in the top five that year because he heard teams were interested in Makai Becton in that pretty strong offensive tackle class that had Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wirfs. So, and obviously the Jets ended up taking him. So it's very interesting to see new players fall up and down his board. So obviously the Jets pick four and 10. 
but I want to read the first three picks to give some context as to where his players fell and how the player ended up on the Jets. So number one overall, the Jaguars, he had Evan Neal, the tackle from Alabama. Number two, the Detroit Lions, he had Aiden Hutchinson, the edge from Michigan, excuse me. And then number three, he had the Houston Texans take Kyle Hamilton, the safety out of Notre Dame. So obviously just hearing those names in your head, process of elimination, that means Kayvon Thibodeau, the edge defender from Oregon, is available on the board at four. And that is the selection that he had the Jets taking. And this, I'll read his little blurb as to what he said. He said, I'd, I'd be very tempted to take Ika McQuanu, the offensive tackle from NC State, which is his top offensive lineman, but the Jets were notoriously awful last year defensively. They will get Carl Lawson back, but they still need more pass rush. I could see Thibodeau sliding, but his bend and length and burst is impressive. So that right there, that last sentence, I can see Thibodeau sliding. That to me means that he's heard someone in one of these organizations say that they're interested in a different player over Thibodeau. So I thought that was very intriguing. Obviously there's a lot of Jets fans, myself included, that have been penciling these top two edge guys, Thibodeau and Hutchinson, since, you know, just around Thanksgiving when the Jets were holding on to a top three, top two pick at one point. So it's nice to see him fall to the number four pick. I think that would be a monstrous duo with Carl Lawson getting back like he put out in his blurb. I also wrote down raw speed to power combo. I think he's not a clean, like a perfect prospect by any any stretch, but he has an extremely high ceiling. I will, I refuse to use words like once in a generational, you know, talent. So that's absolutely not anybody in this class as far as I'm concerned. But Thibodeau is top of the list as far as edge players and defensive players overall. And then you move down to number 10, and this is a new name for Jets fans, I believe. Um, Trent McDuffie, the cornerback from Washington. He's a junior, so a three-year player, and this was the write-up he had. McDuffie is an ultra-clean player on tape. He's quick, fluid, tough, rarely out of position, and can play the ball. He'd upgrade the Jets' intriguing mix of talented young players at the position. And goes along with a tweet that I just heard, or just read, excuse me, about 30 minutes ago, right before we went on, that said that Matt Miller talked to five scouts that he is pretty tight with, and none of those five scouts had Derek Stingley as the top-rated cornerback. And they had McDuffie and Sauce Gardner rated over him. And in Daniel Jeremiah's draft, the only cornerback that went before Trent McDuffie at 10 was Ahmad Gardner from Cincinnati. So it's kind of all falling in line here. I don't exactly – I can scroll down and see. Okay, he has Stingley going at 12, so not far after Trent McDuffie. But you see a little bit of a slide happening for Derek Stingley. So Trent McDuffie is a name I think Jets fans should get familiar with. Uh, On the podcast version of the mock draft, Daniel Jeremiah said he gets Jair Alexander vibes from McDuffie. So as a team that's kind of a blend of, you know, brain trust of, you know, the LaFleur Packers and also the Shanahan 49ers, I think to simulate something like a Jair Alexander in this defense would be great. He's, you know, an all pro type player for the Packers. He was a little banged up this year, but he came back and and produced well down the stretch. 
And McDuffie, he's somebody, he's 5'11", 195. He was first team all packed 12 this year. And everybody's going to, you know, immediately go to the box score and say he only had two interceptions and 10 pass breakups in 28 mm-hmm. games throughout college. So not a ton of ball production, but like, like uh, Daniel Jeremiah said, he is ultra clean player on tape. He's quick and fluid. You see the hip fluidity, him turning and running with the players. He's not, he doesn't take that false step at the line of scrimmage that you see a lot of cornerbacks take. He just goes right after it. He knows exactly what he needs to do on every play. So he's technically sound. And I think that's somebody the Jets need to focus more on on the back end is players that are technically sound. Because we saw even at the safety position, if you're not in the right place at the right time all the time, you're going to get gashed for 70 yards. So to have a cornerback opposite Bryce Hall that can be locked down and even if he doesn't come away with the takeaways, maybe Bryce Hall can become that guy that's the ball hawk because they're not throwing to McDuffie's side. So I think this is a, a, a shakeup in mock drafts, but I think it's something that Jets fans should get accustomed to seeing is cornerback names other than Derek Stingley being mocked at number 10. Great breakdown there. <clears throat> you know, the way that I look at it here is that uh, for years and years, you continue to hear media pundits and fans alike, you know, pound the table for edge rusher. And having that that gruesome guy coming off the corner that can just unfold the play, you know, single-handedly. And, uh, you know, when you look at, you know, these two picks here going at edge and then going in at corner – these would be foundation pieces for the defense. Uh, you know, we talked about how the Jets let up, I think, over 500 points on defense this year. I know a lot of people, uh, you know, put their green goggles on when they think about players like Bryce Hall and Brandon Eccles. If you think that the Jets are content with mm-hmm. just those two corners, you haven't been paying attention. Um, <clears throat> they need as much help as they can get, uh, you know, I'm a little mixed on, on the edge position. We talked a little bit about this off air because, um, you know, we'll we'll save the contract talk near the end of it, but the Jets do have a lot of money allocated at the moment into their defensive line. When you talk, oh, yeah. when you talk about players like John Franklin Myers, Quinnen Williams, Sheldon Rankins, uh, who am I missing here? Um, and Carl Lawson. So, you know, you've got a lot of bodies that are allocated and pretty much set in stone as starters, and then you throw in another guy in the mix. What I was mentioning to you, Dylan, is that it reminds me very much of how the Jets were pretty stacked as a defensive line, and then they went and they acquired Leonard Williams, and then it became a, a mix-up of somebody's got to be, you know, on the sideline um, every every defensive snap. There's no way you get all mm-hmm. those guys on the field at the same time. So that could create a little bit of a, you know, roster mix-up and – not a mismanagement situation, but making managing that defensive line a little bit harder, or possibly if you're looking to have a healthy rotation of guys, then maybe it works and, and it's a good fit. But uh, clearly somebody's snaps are going to be reduced when you acquire another edge rusher like that or a defensive lineman. So that's very intriguing. Um, I definitely understand, you know, um, the fans that are, you know, we have to get a pass rusher and, you know, don't care about what else the Jets do as long as they get somebody that will go out there and get double-digit sacks. So completely understand that. Um, I'll be honest, I have not uh, watched a lot of Trent McDuffie, but I did some reading um, about him since, you know, this mock came out. And 
everything that I've read is that, you know, he, he does well in any scheme. If you are a man covered scheme, if you're playing a zone heavy scheme, he is very comfortable in both. He's got the intelligence and, you know, he's a willing tackler. He's, he's got a little bit of a chip on his shoulder. He's not afraid to, to come down and hit somebody. And like you said, he, he usually is in a good position um, majority of the time. So when you think about this defense and how we played a lot of zone coverages and when you have that type of uh, defensive scheme, you have to have a good football IQ. You have to know what your guys are doing around you. You need to know when you can pass off particular receivers, with, you know, with their routes and things like that and where your territory is and what your responsibilities are. I mean, if we look at just recent drafts from the last few years, the Washington football program has put out some really, really solid guys over the last few years. And um, it just seems like they have whatever their uh, recruiting process is, whoever's running the defensive back, um, you know, recruiting process definitely has an eye for talent. I mean, we, we talk about guys like, you know, Buda Baker, um, you know, and um, who was the kid, help me out here, Dylan, that uh, was a first-round talent and then injured his back last year. I think he was from Washington as well. Um, oh, last year. That's a tough one. I, I was – my brain went to Sydney Jones because he suffered the injury and fell a little bit in the draft. One. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the point is is that Washington has clearly done a good job of um, – providing a lot of good uh, defensive backs and, and everything that I'm reading about this kid, he really does sound like he would be a decent fit. So, you know, if this were the scenario, um, I'd like to be a little bit more balanced, to be honest with you, maybe an offensive lineman and an defensive player. I'm more toward defensive back than I am at edge at this point in time. That could change. Uh, but yeah, I have no, no problems with, uh, with these two players. If the board fell that way, I mean, everything that we've seen um, from Kayvon is he's an absolute stud and, uh, you know, would be an easy pick to make. And uh, in the event that something happens to Quinn and Williams because he got banged up and he was having some shoulder problems, we don't know if he's going to have some cleanup surgery in the off season. We know that Carl Lawson tore his Achilles, so we have no clue if he's going to come back at full strength next year. And, uh, John Franklin Myers, after he got paid, went a little quiet, then had that big blow-up game, and then we didn't really hear too much from him um, down the stretch of the season. So, um, you know, what we think we have can be gone tomorrow. So, again, uh, if if it works out this way, you will not have any complaints from me uh, whatsoever. Um, I I found the name. I believe it was – was the name you were looking for earlier Elijah Molden, the slot corner that I loved that ended there up going to Elijah Tennessee? Molden. Yes. <clears throat> and then they had um, Keith that, Taylor that as well. Yep. They so, had two corners you know, last year. Validates the point there that, uh, you know, these are – Washington has just got a knack. You know, and LSU, they call it DB Nation. Um, you know, things yeah, are coming from and, there uh, and there's uh, – mm-hmm. I was just going to say, Daniel Jeremiah in this current draft, his Mach 1.0 that we're talking about right now, at 25 overall, he has Buffalo selecting Kyler Gordon, who is the opposite corner from Trent McDuffie at Washington. So I'm glad that you mentioned it because I forgot to that, yes, Washington has been pumping out defensive secondary players in the drafts for 
many of the past, you know, draft cycles. So definitely a good school to pick from in terms of talent. Yeah. So there's pedigree there. Um, And, you know, again, I I would not uh, be upset if that were the pick. And, you know, when like you brought up a great point, because that was one thing that I did see is that he didn't have a lot of turnovers. And, And I don't think that, you can judge a book by its cover when you look at stats like that because there could be good mm-hmm. reason why he doesn't have a lot of interceptions. Teams know, you know, this kid's a ball hawk, and if we throw away a lot, we could end up in trouble. So, you know, people will most definitely stay away um, from players like that. And uh, you, you can't just judge a player by looking at a stat line and saying, you know, this guy's a bum because he only had two picks in his uh, college career. You know, he could have yeah. two – two picks in his college career, and then he could end up with, with 20 in his, you know, uh, professional career. Um, you have no idea what's going to happen when he gets to the big league. So um, if anybody can't discredit him because of that. Exactly. I was going to say, if anybody just wants to look right at the box score at interceptions, you know, I think I would just counter-argue with the Trayvon Diggs. You look at his ball production, he had – the most mm-hmm. interceptions in the entire league this season, but he also gave up over a thousand yards and a bunch of touchdowns. So you can look at interceptions all you want and, and come to that conclusion that Trayvon Diggs is a good player, but you could turn on the film and it could tell you something different. And I'm not going to say my side of the debate on this one because Trayvon Diggs is not a jet, but the film says a lot different mm. things than the box score. Yeah. I remember, uh, not arguing, but debating with some people on Twitter in regards to digs. And, um, you know, a lot of Mm -hmm. people told me otherwise and that uh, he wasn't going to, you know, turn out to be anything good and turns out to be one of the best corners in in the league this year. So um, we know what we know until we, until we don't know. So, all right. Exactly. Well, we're at the midway point of our show here. Um, That was some good conversation that we had in regards to the rumor and, and DJ's mock. I'm sure he's going to be putting out a few more. And, uh, you know, this is draft season. This is um, our off season coming up. This is a big year for the Jets. Uh, you know, a lot of the acquisitions that we've made through that Jamal Adams trade um, will be coming down this year. And, uh, yeah, you know, like we said, uh, when the trade went down, you know, this previous draft and this one here could determine on the Jets' potential for their future. So, Big, big offseason for the Jets here. Big draft coming up. And it all starts as the recent Senior Bowl. It all starts in Mobile. And that's where the Senior Bowl is. So we're officially kicking off our Senior Bowl watch segment. And, uh, Dylan, I know that you have um, a bunch of notes that you want to go into. So I'm going to throw the ball your way um, in just a second. Um, I have three players uh, that I would like to give to the listeners that I think that they should watch mm-hmm. from the offensive side. Um, the three players that I keyed in on was Khalil, <clears throat> Khalil Shakir, a wide receiver from Boise State, Jeremy Ruckert, the tight end from Ohio State, and Hassan Haskins, running back from Michigan. Uh, so I'll just briefly um, just give a glimpse of uh, what these three players uh, did while they were in college. Um, Khalil Shakir, um, had a great season in 2021, uh, his best season of his college career. He had 1,100 yards with seven touchdowns. In his career, he ended up with 2,878 yards and 20 touchdowns in total. Um, he also had 414 yards on the ground. 
So that's interesting how, um, you know, I'm not going to put that Debo Samuel, um, you know, label or stamp on him because everybody likes to do that with receivers that have running ability. But it Mm -hmm. does seem that he's the type of player, you get the ball in his hands, he makes things happen. Um, I don't think he's going to be the fastest guy in the draft. Um, He may not be the fastest guy in the field. But I do think that with quickness, elusiveness, um, once he gets to the the stem of his route, um, he does have the ability to separate. Um, you'll see from some of his highlights, he, he does get downfield and makes plays. And he has this one, like, Odell Beckham-like catch on the sideline where, you know, he shows, mm-hmm. uh, as Kyle Krabs would say, his bunnies, you know, jumping ability um, and getting up there and one-hand scooping and then kind of, like, turning his body while in, you know, while he's in the air to protect himself and protect the football. That shows a lot about concentration the ability to catch the ball when you're under duress and um, does really well in the screen game in the short to intermediate route. So I think that would be a good weapon to throw into the mix for the Jets. And that's why I wanted to put him on watch. Jeremy Ruckert, um, very, very good tight end. The stats won't jump off the page. Um, You know, 54 career receptions, 615 yards, and 12 touchdowns. So he is a viable threat in the red zone. He's a big guy at 6'5", 250. Um, very good blocker. Things I noticed with him, you know, he was lined up as fullback, H-back, kind of a move tight end. He can line up in line. And I even saw him flexed out a few times. So that shows ability to work in between the seams and the numbers. And um, we know that there's a big need for tight end for the Jets. So Jeremy Ruckert is a guy that I think that all Jets fans should, should give a look to. And, um, you know, maybe day two, a uh, day two pick you know, end of the second, third round, something like that, you know, too early to tell where these guys are going to fall, but I'd be very happy with the Jeremy Ruckert. And then lastly, Hassan Haskins, uh, very interesting career. Um, his best season was his, the, the most previous where he had 1300, uh, rushing yards and he had 20 total touchdowns. Uh, you know, I was, uh, listening to one of the games that are, the commentators of one of the games that uh, I was watching, and apparently the Michigan offense runs the ball 75% of the time. This kid toted the rock 270 times in 12 games. So for me, that shows durability. Um, he's got that workhorse ability. Um, I think he's around six foot, six one at 220. So he's got power back, uh, you mm-hmm. know, body mold. And I think that with a Michael Carter and a power back kind of mix. If you were to get two of those guys in the backfield together, I think that that would be a really, really good dynamic. Very similar to how North Carolina had Javante Williams as their power back, and then the change of pace was Carter, and that was very effective for them. So, um, folks, Hassan Haskins, Jeremy Ruckert, and uh, Khalil Shakir are my three players of note that I think that Jets fans should uh, keep an eye on. Dylan, I know you've got a lot to uh, talk about here, so the ball is in your court. And uh, give us a little preview on the offensive side for Senior Bowl. Yeah, I thought you did great breaking down all three of those players, and I'm really happy that you chose those three because I just chose a quick ten players to to highlight. I don't want to sit here and bore everybody and read off my notes for every single player on Mm. offense, but I chose ten and – Three of mine were Hassan Haskins, Jeremy Rucker, and Khalil Shakur because I think all three of them are talented enough and fit 
a mold of what the Jets are looking for in some aspect that, you know, the Jets should be able to use them how they want over the week at, at the Senior Bowl and really get a, a firm grasp of what these guys can do in their scheme. I'm going to choose to start on the offensive line. I have a couple names from each position group I want to highlight. And starting with the offensive line, I have Daniel Falele. He's the right tackle from Minnesota. And this is, he's a mammoth of a man. He's six foot nine, 380 pounds. <clears throat> Excuse me. And these are all estimated heights and weights off of their uh, college bios on their, on their profiles. So they, they could be slightly inflated, but right now they have them listed at six, nine, 380, which even if it's, a couple inches taller and a couple pounds bigger. He's still a massive, massive human being. He was a four-star recruit, and the notes I have on him are massive, even in his stance. He has heavy steps to get into his past set, but I think that he gets there fairly quickly. He's a people mover in the run game, especially when you watch his steel blocks. He'll just cut off that whole side of the defensive line and open up a big hole for runners. I think he reaches a bit. He gets a little... Uh, top heavy and, and starts reaching a little too much with his arms and obviously a guy his size can get away with it to a certain degree um, and then the one note I had on him was that he does not play 100% of the snaps in the game he's frequently subbed out at right tackle I'm not sure if that's just due to his sheer size and the stamina of not being able to play a full college game which could be a concern at the next level if he can't you know go a full 100% snaps at the NFL level but He's somebody that's been mocked in the first round of some mock drafts that I've seen, so I thought it was very um, good. I thought it was smart to touch on him. Another player I have on the offensive line, another first-round guy is Bernard Raymond. This guy's pretty much solidified his role, his you know, stat, his stock, I should say, as a first-round player. Um, it's funny you look at this guy's pictures online on his profile on the website at Central Michigan, and he's all smiles, and then you turn on the film and you see every bit of six, seven, 305. He, he, he's got, I, I don't want to say nasty because people get the wrong, you know, connotation with that. But this dude, he, he plays through the whistle. He will not stop pushing you around until, you know, the refs are blowing their whistle for multiple seconds. He's a guy that's quick into his pass set. He doesn't drag his outside foot. I think that's really good for out like offensive tackles in general if you can really step into your pass set and not drag your foot behind, I think it helps get into a better position. He's a great run blocker. He has a strong anchor in the pass game, rarely loses a hand fight. He can work to the second level well. He passes off stunts. And if you watched any of the 2021 Jets, you saw that stunts and gains and twists were headache for the offensive line for much of the season last year. So somebody that can pass off stunts really well is always a plus for this offensive line. And then a couple guys that I don't have full write-ups on yet, but I know are fan favorites, Cole Strange from Chattanooga. He's one that I'm going to watch uh, on the interior down in Mobile and hope that he can, you know, rise his stock a little bit. Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. He was the tackle opposite Spencer Brown, who was a third or fourth round pick for the Bills. So he's one to watch. He's been in the first round conversation. And then another one is Zion Johnson. He's a guard from Boston College. A lot of uh, Jets fans have heard his name through several different, you know, Jets drafts and mocks. And I think he's somebody that can play either 
left or right guard. And I heard on a podcast he's also going to be tried out at center by a few teams. So that's something that's always positive is position versatility, especially on the interior offensive line where the Jets need probably their most help offensively. And then moving into the skill positions, we have Jerome Ford, the running back from Cincinnati. Um, He's 5'11", 206. I watched about six games of his, and the, the main thing I came away with was breakaway speed. He took multiple 50-plus yard touchdowns. He just You can just tell almost like the Braxton Berrios kickoff against the Jaguars. Once he had that lane, nobody was going to catch him. But he also has a good amount of pop and power between the tackles when he runs. He's a patient runner. He's somebody that transferred from Alabama and joined Cincinnati in the early two, uh, 2020 season. So he's not even a full two-year player at Cincinnati. But you know that he comes with the – intangibles of an Alabama player like patience vision elusiveness he's also very strong in pass pro he's not afraid to take on blockers even if they're coming full speed downhill at him I saw a rep where he got knocked back and he let up a sack and he was so so hard on himself and not to say that players should be hard on themselves, but it's nice to see him, you know, take a little bit of accountability and really step his game up from there. I don't think he allowed a sack for the rest of the game. So it's nice that he can, you know, you know, coach himself up, so to speak. And I also think he has a lot of good pass catching ability, reliable hands. I don't have stats on any of these guys, but he had 19 rushing touchdowns in 2021. Stats are one of the last things I look at when I scout these players because I don't want to, like we just discussed, judge the book by the cover. So I go film first, then stats. Another running back I have, Abram Smith, 5'11", 221. He's from Baylor. Uh, he's a powerful downhill runner. I think he was one of the best running backs that I watched in terms of pass protection. I saw a play where they were supposed to – it looked like a play action – and he immediately went to his his uh, assignment. The D end was coming free off the end of the line of scrimmage, and instead of faking the handoff, he just immediately went and met the defender and, and most likely saved his quarterback from a sack. I think he's another three-down player, short yardage, goal line. He had minimal use in the past game, so maybe a three-down player is a bit of a stretch for him, but just because I didn't see it doesn't mean it's not there. And I think he can create explosive runs. And he's also somebody who is a former linebacker. So obviously the physicality is there. You see it when he runs. He's looking for contact every time. And then I'll go back and brush over uh, Hassan Haskins. But I think he's a downhill runner. When I first um, wrote up my article for the Jets offense on Jet Nation, I thought that he could bring a little bit of the A.J. Dillon-esque role. Um, again, going to the Packers as a reference in their backfield with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and Kylan Hill, and I thought he could play the A.J. Dillon role. And then I put on his tape, and quite frankly, I think he can play the Aaron Jones role. He contact balance, sturdy and pass pro. He's a good pass catcher, short yardage situations. He's that guy. Like you said, Michigan ran the ball a ton. I don't know, it, 75 mm-hmm. sounds about accurate from the film. And this guy had five rushing touchdowns against Ohio State. So, sure, he might not have the, you know, top-end speed to break those big, long runs, but somebody that will get you 20, 30, no problem, you know. I don't mind him getting chased right. down if he's going to be able to do everything that 
I think he can bring to the table. So Hassan, a great, great player to highlight there. Moving over to tight end position, uh, we're going to start with Trey McBride. Um, he's somebody that Jets fans are well familiar with by now, but I think it's good to, you know, give my take on him and allow for another angle and another perspective on this player. And he's six foot four, two forty, out of Colorado State. He was only a three-star recruit coming out, so you know, not highly thought after. He's um, he could play the F or the Y. And for those wondering what F and Y means, Y is in line on the line of scrimmage, right next to the tackle. F is more of the move tight end. They line up as, you know, off the line of scrimmage, but still next to the tackle and what some call a nub. They move across the line of scrimmage a lot. You can flex them out to the slot. So watching Trey McBride, he's an F and a Y. He can do a little bit of both. I have down, he's an excellent blocker, especially when he gets to the second level, DBs and linebackers, especially corners. They don't really want anything to do with him. He lined up on the perimeter in the slot, in line as a nub, like I said. So the fact that he's out on the perimeter, you know, is a big, not not a, I guess it would say a green flag, the opposite of a red flag is the fact that he can go all the way to the perimeter one-on-one with a player and and show that he's a good enough player out there as well as inside. He's good at route running, quick release, reliable hands. And I think, I I believe I said it last week, but he does all the fundamental things that the Jets like to do. Like I said, the the sniffer in the split zone, we've seen that countless times with Ryan Griffin or Dan Brown or Tyler Croft where the linebacker, or the tight end, excuse me, will run across the formation and try to get a block when they're doing the split zone run. And, we've seen it fail too many times for my liking. So I think somebody like Trey McBride coming in and really locking down that position would be something that's worth a top 40 pick. I know he could enter the first round uh, discussion, but I think if he's there at 35 or 38, the Jets really should pull the trigger. And then the other tight end I had, you spoke of him, Jeremy Rucker. He's six foot five, 238 out of Ohio state. He's a three-star recruit as well. He's a New York guy from Lindenhurst. Not exactly sure if that's upstate or towards the city, but he's somewhat of a local guy. Just like Trey McBride, he can play the Y or the F. They used him pretty much all over. He has a lot of speed off the line of scrimmage. He was underutilized, like almost criminally underutilized in the past game. You spoke of his production, and it's not nearly what it could be, but then you you get a lot of good run game film with Jeremy Rucker as well. He really will put hands on you. He's not afraid to to maul you over and, and put you on your back in the run game. And if you've been looking at Twitter throughout any of this draft cycle, you'll probably have seen the picture of Jeremy Rucker wearing, I believe it was a Curtis Martin jersey on his dad's Twitter when he was a kid. So always nice to have Ooh, I just got the home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, somebody that's, that loves the team and, you never know. Anything can happen, but somebody like that is always a great, that, right? <laughs> right? Exactly. It's 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 a great story if it were were to all come together. And I think Jeremy Rucker, like Trey McBride, is somebody that they can definitely use in all the ways that they want to use their tight ends. And then, last but certainly not least, I have the wide receiver position. I'm going to start with the big dog, the one that I think most Jets fans were happiest to see on the list of 
senior bowl wide receivers for the Jets team, and that's Jahan Dotson from Penn State. He's His hometown is uh, Nazareth, Pennsylvania, which is roughly 35 minutes from my house, so a very local kid mm. to me. He's 5'11", 175, yep. and the notes I have on him, perimeter or slot player, slot predominantly, but he can play on the perimeter, takes direct snaps, end arounds, double passes. He had a great touchdown against Ohio State. Um, he's a screen machine, strong hands at the catch point, sticky hands, tremendous ball skills. You can just search Jahan Dotson catch on Twitter, and I'm sure all these draft sites will have the, the catch that I'm speaking of. It's literal highlight real catch and some that don't even count. I believe he had a catch out of bounds that I watched on film that didn't count because he didn't get his foot in, but it was better than the catch he made inbounds. And then the only question I really had with him was, does he have that sixth gear? I never quite saw him break those big runs in space. He couldn't turn the, the small gains into the touchdowns and the really long gains. That's not to say he can't do it. I, I'm intrigued to see what his, his, you know, acceleration and, and 40 times would look like in the combine and the three cone and stuff like that. But I think he's probably got the best natural hands of any wide receiver in the class, not just the senior bowl players. So definitely another guy that's in that early second round talk for, for most people. And then you, you talked about him a little bit, Khalil Shakur from Boise State. He's six foot one, 175. And when I was watching him, I prematurely sent out a tweet because the next player that I watched after him reminded me of this player more. But I thought Khalil Shakur gave me Alan Lazard vibes just due to his tenacity and his physicality. And that was the first thing I wrote on my, on my, uh, my notes was physical player, tough after catch. It always takes more than one tackler. You spoke about it earlier, the, the tunnel screens, the pop passes. He does all that Mm -hmm. for for Boise State's offense. He had more contested highlight catches. I thought it's really tough watching that blue turf in Boise, but, man, he has some really, really nice catches. He's a good blocker, like I said, kind of Lizard-like, even though his size doesn't necessarily say it. And then I think sometimes he needed to commit a little bit more to his routes. You spoke about it. He is a good route runner. I think he just needed to be a little bit more – determined in those routes and I think he could have uh event you know maybe seen more production but that's not to say he's less of a prospect but I think Khalil Shakur is absolutely somebody that the Jets should have their eye on and then last wide receiver here and this is the player size film everything this guy looked more like Alan Lazard to me than anybody and that's Christian Watson from North Dakota State He's six foot five, two hundred and eight, so really close to that Alan Lazard size, who's six five, two twenty. Um, I was only able to watch one game of his from the spring twenty twenty one season. I'm not sure if North Dakota State I believe they had a fall season as well, but they don't have too much tape on him. But it was a really good game. He was a kick returner. They put him in the uh, perimeter, sometimes in the slot, primarily in the perimeter. Big size and speed. They used him on all jet motions, sweeps. He had a huge catch radius, tenacious in the run game. And I think if you can get somebody of that size and speed, I know we've seen it kind of fizzle out with Denzel Mims. But if this guy can, you know, show a little bit 
more ability to separate at the end of his routes and become like a dominant player in that aspect of his game. I think this is somebody the Jets should not sleep on even, you know, late day two, early day three. I'm not quite sure exactly where all these guys are going to pencil in when it comes down to it, but these are all guys that right now could be potentially day two picks and the Jets have four picks in the second round or two two in the first, two in the second, one in the third. So we have five picks in the first two days. So any of these players can rise stock and end up being in those, you know, talks for those picks. So just a quick 10 players that I really wanted to highlight. There's obviously so many more that are going to be there that I'm going to get to see that I'll report back on and say, oh, I was, I was wrong about this player or potentially right about this player. So I think that's, that's the beauty of the game is you're never – you don't know until you know. So all these prospects are going to be, you know, ones that I've, I've bookmarked and I'm going to keep my eyes and ears on. I can't wait to see their numbers. can't wait to just see them in person and see what the sheer size of these players are because obviously these college profiles lie and tell you that a guy is 300 pounds and then he weighs 272 when you weigh him. So it's, it's going to be good to confirm the body types and – the abilities of all these players. Yeah, right on. And and I do remember watching a little bit of Watson when I was watching Trey, um, <clears throat> Trey Lance. And uh, I was just curious on, on how he would translate and, you know, when it came for his time to declare and everything like that. And I'm, I'm kind of happy that the young man is uh, being talked about as one of the top receivers um, coming into this class. Cause uh, like you said, the, the size and speed combo and everything, um, looks really, really awesome and a lot of fun. And, um, you know, who wouldn't want a player, you know, like that? You know, when we talk about, you know, DK Metcalf, who we just mentioned earlier in the show, a lot of people were skeptical about the size and the speed aspect of him and, you know, would, would it all translate? And, uh, you know, DK went out and did a great job at the Combine. And, you know, um, with this season, you know, was kind of up and down, so, you know, much like, mm-hmm. you know, Seattle with Russell Wilson. So, you know, you have to say that uh, his production goes hand in hand with who his quarterback was. So, uh, yeah, excited to see, you know, where Christian Watson goes and and how the process um, continues for him because, uh, you know, you may not know who he is now, but come April, he'll be someone that'll be, you know, heavily talked about. And and I don't even Mm -hmm. know if we can, we'll be considering him a sleeper, you know, come April. So, um, but yeah, a lot, a lot of nuggets that you put out there, Dylan. Uh, super excited. Um, I see we do got about five minutes left on the clock here, so uh, we will still have you know more time to talk about you know some other players. And like you said, when you get on the scene, I'm sure there's going to be players that pop that you know we didn't mention tonight that that you'll be able to uh, provide us you know some some inside scoop. Um, so all right, so from the, the last segment of tonight's show. Dylan and I are going to review a couple of these big contracts that the the Jets have on their roster um, going into this next season. And uh, some people might say that, you know, uh, Mike McCagnan and company, uh, you know, really put the the team in in a particular uh, difficult position and, you know, signing some of these contracts that have lingered over and, um, you know, we're going to go into a few of those right now. 
and we're going to talk about some players that Joe Douglas brought in and their contracts, and then we're going to talk about a couple guys that maybe the Jets can part ways with or, you know, they should part way with um, just to get some money back so that they can acquire some younger talent in, in free agency. So uh, I've got a few players written down. I know you only have a few players written down as well. Um, mm-hmm. The big contracts that I'm showing, uh, C.J. Mosley's do $17.5 million. Now, I was under the impression that we would have an opt-out in 2022, but Dylan, you had a, uh, a piece of information about Mosley's contract situation. So why don't you let our fans know? Yeah, so with C.J. Mosley specifically, um, due to him opting out during the 2020 season, the rule book allowed for all contracts to be, I guess, negated for one season. So instead of him being on the books for 2020, it was essentially as if he cost $0 and all every aspect of his contract was pushed back one season. So you can look at that as, hey, we have C.J. Mosley for one more year despite the contract that we know McCagnan gave out was a hefty one. Or you can say, mm-hmm. oh, we have to wait one more year until we can pick up or use that option and cut – cut some cap with him and move on. But I think it's it's interesting because with such a high cap number, he is an interesting person to have to decide whether to cut or keep. 17 and a half is mm-hmm. a lot of money, especially for interior linebacker. And yep. he was a great player. Five, five uh, tackles away from breaking the record that Jonathan Vilma has yep. held since 2005. So it goes either way. Yep. I'm in the camp of keeping him, but I'll let you continue. Yeah, yeah. I'm in the same um, aspect there. I think they need to keep him. He was clearly the best player that we had on the defensive side of the ball, number four overall in tackles in the league this year. Uh, Mm -hmm. He really, really took that time to, uh, you know, reinvent his body, getting a little bit lighter, losing some weight, gaining more muscle, and adding more quickness. So that definitely panned out very well. Um, you know, kind of interesting how he was able to acquire $10 million in that opt-out clause and push the uh, that opt-out clause for another year. So that really worked out to his favor. The next man I have up here is uh, George Fant, who's due $10.6 million, and he would be a $1 million dead cap if the Jets decided to opt out. Um, we have the same situation with Connor McGovern. They were both acquired in the same year free agency. They also he also is due about ten point three million, and uh, it's a one point three three whatever million dead cap if the Jets opt out. Um, so with those two players there um, and the situation of the uh, offensive line, yeah, you could save a lot of money. You know, um, that would probably be around eighteen million dollars of money that the Jets can save for themselves, but you save that 18, then you got to go and spend it. So, um, and you'd be, mm-hmm. you know, reworking your offensive line yet again. So I'm not really sure if it's worth the savings, um, you know, due to the fact that we don't know who's going to be playing right tackle. If the Jets are going to bring back Morgan Moses or if they're going to look to the draft to, you know, fill that void. Uh, we're unsure. Uh, what Bakai Becton's status is. We keep hearing that he's overweight and that he's not, and he's out of shape and then he's not. So we really don't know what's going on with him. 
So I don't know if I'm very comfortable parting ways with either of these guys at this point in time. And it really seems like McGovern likes the new um, coaching staff that he's been working with. Um, right. There was an article put out just, you know, a week or two ago saying how he feels it's a very professional staff and the practices are, you know, well-organized and everything like that. So um, I don't know, you know, we've got a lot of money allocated to the three players that I mentioned, and I don't know if the Jets can afford to, to cut them and have any savings on them. Um, what are your thoughts on Fad uh, and McGovern, Dylan? Yeah, I think when you put it into the perspective of saving $18 million, but you have to go spend it, you also open up 40% of your offensive line to a need. And I think if you took just that $18 million and tried to patchwork your way through free agency like they did with the Dan Feeney acquisition and players of that caliber, I don't think you're going to end up with a better product. So I absolutely think you have to keep George Fant Specifically, you have to keep George Fan. He was too good at the tackle position, and with so much uncertainty, there's no way you get rid of him. McGovern, coming into the year, I was on the fence about him. I was kind of hoping they would cut him coming into this season. But like you said, he's he's turned it around. He's shown that he can improve in this scheme. He likes this scheme. He, he said it multiple times that it's built for his style of football. I don't really – want to put a lot of stock into these all pro pro bowl level practices that these jets are having because it doesn't translate to Sunday (laughs) just yet. But (laughs) I think those two guys specifically played good enough, especially Fant to, to merit another season. And like, again, you're not going to find $18 million worth of good players to replace them. Right. You know, if there's somebody out there that's valued at that amount, um, whoever that team is, they seem you know, pretty stupid to let a player like that go. Right. Um, we, we've so sometimes seen with Brandon happen, Scherf, but not likely. Right. I was going to say, with Brandon Scherf, how many years in a row have Jets fans been hyped up to go snag him from Washington, and then Washington right. pays him a ridiculous amount of money on a tag, and now he's $16, 17000000 million alone. So if you're going to yep. replace Fan and McGovern with a Brandon Scherf, you have a, a massive hole at tackle. So – I agree. You have to yep. keep both until you have a, a good contingency plan in place. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> now, there's a couple players that I think you and I both mentioned here that are not as expensive on the Jets' uh, you know, salary cap, um, but they could part ways and have zero dead cap money. Um, I have one of them as GVR, Greg Van Roten, um, I don't know if our numbers are the same here. I had them at 3.5 million. I'm not sure what you yep. had. I think I went to Sport Track, and yep, then uh, Ryan Griffin. Too. I think you had a, yeah, you had 3.2. I had 2.6. So right around three million dollars with a Ryan Griffin as well. Mm-hmm. That one's an interesting one because the Jets' tight end position is quite depleted, and I don't know if they can afford to let a guy like Griffin go. But uh, you know, I, I think I've seen all that I need to see from Orion Griffin, to be honest with you. And uh, mm-hmm. being that we hear that this draft class for the tight ends is generational talent and we haven't seen, or at least, you know, media pundits are saying they haven't seen this much talent at the tight end position in like the last 10 years. So with the Jets having, you know, so many, you know, picks within the first three rounds, 
you have to think that they're going to be able to come away with one decent tight end. And, and I think that that would be enough for me to walk away from Ryan Griffin. Um, what are your thoughts on GVR and Ryan Griffin? And do you have anybody else to add to uh, this contract uh, discussion? Yeah, I think GVR, he was first on my list. Um, again, another player that was on my list last year, of players not to retain. Obviously he showed that he was durable until he was benched. I, obviously availability is the best quality to have, but when you play at the level that Greg Van Roten did, it's not, you know, surprising to see them look past his 100% snaps and go out and get a Laurent Duvernay Tardif in the middle of the season. So he's definitely on my list of guys to cut. Ryan Griffin, he made the list too. I don't think I was factoring in the dead cap, so that's probably where the, the number was a little inflated. But he's a guy that I'm just honestly I'm just tired of seeing mediocre play from the tight end position. The the Jets mm-hmm. cut this guy with the last day of cuts in the 2021, you know, back in August. So he's a guy that clearly they weren't 100% sold on. They brought him back and obviously used him a lot. There were plenty of games where he was the highest percentage snapped skill position player. Like it would go Zach Wilson, the offensive line, and then uh, Ryan Griffin was right there at like 70% snaps. So if you can get a Trey McBride, Jeremy Rucker, Jake Ferguson, any of these guys, like you said, in this deep tight end class, he's immediately mm-hmm. on the, on the top of the list to go. And then the other name I have on the list, and it's only one year left in his deal, but quite frankly, I would rather take the very little cap savings in the $1 million rather than deal with another season of Blake Cashman's hamstrings, to be honest. So mm-hmm. he was another one that made my list. I had three players to cut to save $7.7 million. We already have $45.6 million, so we're well in the top, you know, eight in terms of cap space. So it's not necessarily a bad position to be in with players that aren't obvious cap casualties, but at the same time, it's a weird position because you know you are very lacking of talent when you don't have anybody that you can look at and be like, okay, well, we can squeeze a couple dollars here and there. So it's a weird, right. you know, rebuild transition phase for the Jets, but I think take all the money you can get, go into free agency with the most amount of cap dollars, take advantage of it, and hopefully solidify this roster before you get to the draft and not, you know, pigeonhole yourself into, oh, well, we don't have a tackle now because, you know, Mekhi Becton's status is up in the air. We couldn't re-sign Moses, and all we have is George Fant. So I think the Jets mm-hmm. need to – really attack this offseason strategically in order to make the most out of their dollars and draft capital. Absolutely. Now, have they had that, um, the increase, have they implemented that yet? I know that there was talk about the salary cap being increased for this year. Has so that once the uh, new, happened yet? Once the new league year happens, I believe like the week after the Super Bowl, they'll announce mm the official cap number, but everything that I've heard is the rumor is 205.8 million, I believe. So it's well above what it was last year. So teams are definitely going to be getting a huge increase in their budget moving into this year. That'll be interesting because you'll see more alarming contracts for certain players, which will, you know, make the, Mm -hmm. the free agent market a little unbalanced. And now you're thinking, Oh my God, you know, 
this is, you know, we'll just say a, a mediocre player in our minds, and he's getting paid what would feel like, you know, a premium contract. But when you level out the new mm-hmm. uh, structure that they may be potentially putting out there, you know, a guy that was making, let's say, you know, Corey Davis, I think, what is he making, like $12 million, I think, a year, you know, maybe $11 million, something yep. crazy like that. Um, I wouldn't say it's crazy, but, um, you know, a player like that now could depend, potentially get 15 under the new deal. So mm-hmm. that that could, you know, change things a little bit as far as the way that deals are going to be structured because obviously, you know, if you have a good enough agent, they're going to say, well, you know, you got more money to spend now and, you know, players like this, they're obviously, you know, if there's a need, you're going to spend it. So, you know, it'll be interesting the way the negotiations work out in that aspect, it, you know, when the uh, salary cap numbers are deployed. And, uh, you know, that could be good for the Jets because it will give them more opportunity to put together a better deal or a bigger deal for certain players that they want to be aggressive with. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think that some of the players we mentioned, like GVR, Griffith, and Blake Cashman, I mean, we're gonna, you just got to say it right now. Blake Cashman is going to get hurt again at some point in time this year. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's been doing that. Um, unfortunately, this has happened to him numerous times in college. Mm-hmm. Um, Glenn and I, we had a representative from the Gophers that was covering the team come on to our podcast a couple years in a row. And uh, that's the one thing that he said about Cashman. He's all ball. He's a great guy. Um, but he just has this, you know, bad luck streak of, of finding random injuries. And with his short time that he's had with the Jets, he's been injured every year and found himself on the IR. So um, it's, you know, safe to say that that probably could happen again. And do you really want to invest time, money, and, and you know, to trying to develop a player that's going to be spending the majority of his time, on, you know, in the training camp room um, or a table rather. So, uh, yeah, I could definitely see, you know, them parting ways with uh, with Cashman this year, given his history. So not a lot of savings, but, you know, they're going to need every dollar that they that they have to, to make this team improve for next year. All right, so uh, just a little bit over the uh, one-hour mark here. I think this was a good one, Dylan. We got the uh, conversation started with the offseason, and, you know, as the mm-hmm. senior bowl people say, it all starts in Mobile. Um, 11 days and counting. Tomorrow's officially 10, so we, we're getting really, really close to this stuff here, um, getting goosebumps and getting those vibes. So very, very excited. And uh, next week we will continue our discussion with the Senior Bowl. We're, we're going to jump to the other side of the ball, and we're going to talk a little bit about the defensive players. And, uh, you know, we'll provide a couple of players for watch for our listeners. And, um, Dylan, I know you're going to have uh, some good notes to share as well, so that'll be a lot of fun. And then when you're on the scene, um, to be determined at this point, um, you know, because, you know, your schedule, my schedule, you're going to be, you know, uh, very active that day. And I know you got a lot of things going on, but we're going to try to squeeze out another, you know, short podcast so that you could take, you know, all your notes and everything that you're seeing from Mobile and, uh, you know, present it to our listeners, which will be a lot of fun. So I'm definitely excited for that. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think this will do it uh, for us here. Dylan, any, uh, any departing words or anything that uh, you'd like to share before we call it a night? No, just super excited to get this ball rolling on the draft talk. And as soon as we get off here, I'm digging right into the defensive line prospects for the Jets. So, Next week will be a loaded Absolutely. one for sure. 
Yep, and uh, for the uh, listeners out there, I put out a couple tweets for the players that we have um, <clears throat> on watch for the Senior Bowl, so don't forget to uh, check us out. You can follow me at, N- at NYJetsLife24. You can follow uh, Dylan at D Terraman, that's D T E R E M A N, because he is the man. And, uh, you know, go check out him, give him a follow. Um, he's going to have plenty of nuggets <laughs> out there and articles as well. Uh, you like that one, huh? Um, I did. But, yeah, I think, I think we'll wrap it up here before I, I throw out any, any bad dad jokes, as they would say, um, and then, you know, derail the show <laughs> entirely. So uh, I've had a good, uh, good time here. And uh, hopefully next week my, my voice bounces back. So mm-hmm. uh, this is Alex Varello signing off for Dylan Towerman. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. It's been another great episode of Jet Nation Radio. Don't forget to go to the website and check out the forums. A lot of good Jets talk over there. So everybody be safe. Thank you for joining us, and have a great night. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jet Nation Radio. Glenn is at AceFan23 and Alex is at NYJetsLife24. Until next time, go Jets!